Hi everyone, today I will be reviewing the season and possibly series finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi and I couldn't be more glad to report that this finale was awesome. It totally delivered on everything the show has been setting up so far and had some great surprises as well. This finale totally surpassed all my expectations. I think we've seen that a majority of Disney Plus show finales, whether Marvel or Star Wars, have been unsatisfying or rushed and I'm glad to say that this is not among them. This is definitely in that upper echelon of Disney Plus finales with, I would say, both of the Mandalorian ones. First of all, let's talk about the cinematography and visual effects. This show has been so visually inconsistent. It has both looked more cinematic and better than Mandalorian at times, and also much worse and lower budget at times. Lots of shots in this episode were really stunning and well-framed, but a few felt a little video gamey, although I will say not nearly as bad as episode 5 of this show. The video gaminess, although I think is less of a cinematography problem and more of a CGI problem, and it's really hard for me to knock the show for its CGI because I know that every project is dealing with the same problem right now. The entire visual effects industry was hit really hard by COVID and I think still has yet to make a full recovery. So some subpar CGI isn't bad enough to take me out of the story, and that's what really matters. Talking about the cinematography, there were so many great shots. Um, the ending with Obi-Wan walking into the sunset, or the wide shot of Vader and Obi-Wan standing across from each other with the moon in the background. Also, just the way their duel was shot. There was an emphasis on close-ups and less on showing the choreography, which sounds bad, but is actually great because the duel itself isn't nearly as important as the characters and what the conflict means for the characters. Um, the actual fighting is not the focus of the scene. The focus is the characters, which I loved. Also, I love the overhead shots looking down, the shots up in the spires looking down. I was just very satisfied with the way that this duel was shot. It was very well done. And uh, moving on to the direction, there's not much I can say besides hats off to Deborah Chow. She absolutely nailed it. I think this is a great example of just perfect execution. She took what was on the page and perfectly translated it to the screen. I have no notes. Uh, she did a fantastic job. I also wanted to mention Natalie Holt's score, which I don't think I've talked about since episode three. It was fantastic. The music that plays during the duel is great. And then the way she kind of has weaved in subtly the John Williams Obi-Wan theme throughout these episodes is awesome. I also, I know many people didn't like this. I loved how they made us wait so that when they finally hit us with the classic themes, they really, really, really hit. I loved hearing the Imperial March and Leia's theme. And I heard that maybe the Force theme was in there too. I like how they saved those iconic themes until the very end so that it's a surprise when they finally do play. And I think, yes, they could have had those themes playing throughout the entire series. And I probably would have loved it. I'm not going to lie but I think that would lessen the impact of actually hearing them. Another thing I love is about how the music in this episode, especially those themes, informs character. When we think about the Imperial March, we usually associate that with Vader. By playing that theme after Vader's pivotal conversation with Palpatine, and that's the only time they play that theme, it further drives home the point that that scene is the birth of Vader. Vader is not the same Vader we see in the original trilogy until that scene, until that theme plays. And the way that music communicates character development to the audience is really cool. And I'll talk about 
my thoughts on the birth of Vader, all that stuff. I'll talk about that more in depth later, but I just think the music was so well done in the series and the way they finally dropped the classic themes at the very end was very well done. I also have to talk about the sound design. I'm pretty sure you already know what I'm thinking about. Obi-Wan slicing Vader's helmet. First of all, the labored breathing, I think they took directly from Star Wars Rebels. Sounds great, totally works. And then of course you have Vader speaking and you hear the crackling of the voice modulator as it goes back and forth between James Earl Jones and Hayden Christensen. That was phenomenal. They have such different voices, but this was just the perfect way to kind of bridge the gap between them and bring them together. I, it was just perfectly done. The way it seamlessly switches between actors. I just think it's so easy to disassociate Anakin and Vader since they seem like just two fundamentally different people. But this show really confronts you and it forces you to realize that they really are one and the same. And it forces you to realize that in a way Star Wars has never done before. Um, and I absolutely love that. The sound design was great. Let's now move on to the fight scenes. I'm going to kind of omit the character moments for now and just focus on the choreography and the fights themselves. We'll talk about the character moments in these fights separately. First of all, let's start with everything with Owen, Baru, and Reva. I thought that was all well done. I like how Owen and Baru put up a good stand. They both got some cool moments. All of that was great, but it was really second fiddle to the duel. Talking about the duel, this was the thing that Kathleen Kennedy has been teasing since the very beginning, since the announcement of this show. The expectations were extremely high and they had to deliver. I honestly wasn't sure if they were going to, and they totally did. The buildup, the dialogue, the fight itself, the choreography, just fantastic. The moment, it was chilling. It was awesome. It was so cool. It was filled with memorable moments. The lightsaber flips, the moves, there's like all these really cool spins that were memorable. Obi-Wan using the backside of his saber to bash Vader's control panel. Obi-Wan's Clone Wars pose. That's the triumphant hero moment we've all been waiting for. Full Jedi Master Obi-Wan lifting all the rocks. The way the duel utilized the surroundings of the planet in such a great way. The use of the force, the location, the lighting, the way it was shot, the choreography. I don't know. Everything was just so perfect. And for me, the sign of a good fight scene is if I find myself going back and rewatching it on YouTube. And I've already lost track of how many times I've rewatched this duel. This is easily in my top three live action Star Wars duels. It really blew past all my expectations. I could not be happier with it. This duel was awesome. It was everything I hoped for and more. And I absolutely loved it. Okay, so let's move on from the fight scenes to the performances and the characters. Starting with Ewan McGregor, he has been fantastic in the entire show. But again, this episode, just phenomenal acting. One of the best performances in all of Star Wars, I would say. One thing I have not mentioned in any of my previous reviews that I wanted to before the show is over is his voice. I've noticed that he's been imitating Alec Guinness's voice, his cadence, his speech patterns, and it really, really works. I recently rewatched A New Hope. So Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan voice is pretty fresh in my mind. You can totally hear it in Ewan's performance. He's just doing a fantastic job. Um, I just think his performance throughout the entire series has been phenomenal. And this episode is no different. I now want to focus more on the character and run through all Obi-Wan's important character moments this episode. And I wanted to talk about how this episode kind of perfectly wraps up his character arc, um, which I'm very happy about. The first big moment is probably him calling for Qui-Gon again. 
he's accepted what he has to do. He knows the danger he's walking into, and he's prepared for it this time. This isn't the same Obi-Wan we saw in episode three, fighting Vader, who was mentally and physically off balance and unprepared. This is an Obi-Wan who knows what he has to do and is ready for it. We then get the actual duel. Obi-Wan ends up buried beneath the rocks, and he hears Anakin. He hears this kind of medley of Anakin and Vader, and then I am what you made me. All of that symbolizing his guilt, which is what this entire arc is about. Um, But then you see it shift, and Obi-Wan starts to think about Luke and Leia. They give him hope for the future. And this entire series has also been about a broken and cynical Obi-Wan finding his hope again. And this moment is the perfect summation of all of that. And you can see that Obi-Wan can only break out from under the rocks once he thinks about Luke and Leia, once he accesses his newfound hope, which we've kind of watched him slowly gain over the course of the show. He breaks out, he fights Vader more, and then we get the big moment. He slices off half of Vader's mask, which is the best conversation, the best sequence of the episode. Obi-Wan apologizes. He finally releases all the guilt he's been harboring. He apologizes to Vader for everything that happened, the entire tragedy of the prequel trilogy, which is just an extremely unexpected emotional moment. And it's just fantastic. This episode was phenomenally written. And then comes the moment that surprised me, but is just absolutely perfect and makes total sense. And after his apology, Vader takes credit. Vader says, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker, I did. This line is absolutely perfect for so many reasons, but the main one is by saying this, Vader unintentionally lets Obi-Wan off the hook. Vader stops blaming Obi-Wan because Vader wants the credit, which allows Obi-Wan to forgive himself. This entire series, he's been weighed down by the idea that everything that happened was his fault. He's responsible for it all. But Vader just essentially unintentionally said to Obi-Wan, it's not your fault. I take full credit for it. And Vader takes the burden off Obi-Wan's shoulders and allows Obi-Wan to relieve himself of the guilt that's been weighing him down. Vader, in a way, gives Obi-Wan the closure he's desperately needed throughout the series which is just such a perfect way to resolve that part of Obi-Wan's arc. Um, I I couldn't have imagined a better way to do it. And then Ewan McGregor's facial acting during that scene, he's horrified. And this is the moment also when he realizes that his friend is truly gone. I think a part of Obi-Wan really wanted to believe that there was still good in Anakin. He never specifically said it in the series, but I think it's implied all throughout the series that Obi-Wan desperately wants to somehow save Anakin to bring him back to the light. And this is the moment that crushes all that hope. He then says, then my friend is truly gone. And this is how Obi-Wan gets to the point in the original trilogy where he calls Vader much more machine than man. And he is encouraging Luke to kill Vader, which didn't make sense before, but now it makes sense because now to Obi-Wan, Anakin is completely gone and there is no way he can or ever will return. so that Obi-Wan leaves Vader. And I've seen many people wondering, why would he do this? Why would he leave Vader again instead of killing him? Um, I have kind of a small list of reasons. I think there's a couple reasons for this. First of all, I think Obi-Wan doesn't have it in him. He already thought he killed Anakin once and it completely destroyed him. He was a broken man for 10 years after he thought he killed Anakin. He does not have it in him emotionally to kill Anakin again. He just can't do it. I think that's one reason. 
Another reason is that maybe to Obi-Wan, Anakin is dead and he got his closure. His job is done. He came to get his closure with Anakin. And now in his mind, Anakin is dead and Vader's all that remains. So he doesn't need to kill Vader because he already got the closure he needed. That one's a little weaker. Another thing is that maybe Vader actually wanted to be killed. I think Vader wanted the duel to end in a definitive way. Either he killed Obi-Wan or Obi-Wan killed him. And that's the way Vader always imagined it. And I think Obi-Wan consciously decides to deny Vader the pleasure of being killed. And I think we see that when Vader then yells, Vader yells out in agony, Obi-Wan, when Obi-Wan leaves him. I think that yell is like a a yell of anger and frustration that he left and he didn't kill me. Um, Another thing is that Obi-Wan left him there with nobody else there to die. So maybe Obi-Wan just assumed Vader would die there. So those are kind of my reasons. Ultimately, the main reason is just plot. Vader has plot armor. He can't be killed, whatever. Um, So I can kind of forgive that moment, even though it doesn't make perfect sense. We also get this moment as Obi-Wan leaves where he calls Vader Darth, just like he did in A New Hope. And this is a perfect way to kind of retroactively explain that line. Darth is no longer the name that Obi-Wan calls Vader that doesn't quite make sense with canon. It's a deliberate choice by Obi-Wan, a choice to call Vader that as a rejection. Obi-Wan refuses to see the humanity in Vader. He sees Vader as more machine than man, like we said. So calling him Darth is his rejection to acknowledge that there is any person with humanity inside that suit. So I just thought that was a genius way to retroactively explain and add more context to kind of a weird moment in A New Hope. Um, Also in Obi-Wan moments, we finally get that payoff with Leia the great conversation about her parents, the payoff with Luke, giving him the toy, moving out of his cave. We get the moment with Owen, where Obi-Wan has learned that he needs to give Luke space. He needs to let Luke grow up. He needs to stop constantly watching for Force abilities. He learns to trust in the Force, that everything will happen when it's supposed to. The time will come for Luke, and Obi-Wan can't force that. He has to be patient, and that time will come. And again, another great payoff from the first episode, another full circle moment in Obi-Wan's arc. Also, we get Obi-Wan saying hello there. I love how Ewan McGregor delivered that. It wasn't all winky winking to the audience. Look, we said the line, we said the meme line. It was a genuine moment and it perfectly demonstrates Obi-Wan's headspace. Now that Vader has given Obi-Wan the closure he needs, now that he's been able to forgive himself, Obi-Wan's arc is complete. He's no longer the cynical, broken man. He's now the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan, the Obi-Wan who walks around in Tatooine sunlight in his Jedi robes, who has this pep in his step, who has the spark in his eye, who has the cheeriness about him, who is hopeful for the future, and Obi-Wan who laughs like we see with Leia. And that was such a great moment, actually seeing him laughing and smiling in the series. Again, I just think Ewan absolutely nailed that. And you can see the difference in Obi-Wan's demeanor from the beginning of episode one to the end of the finale is extremely obvious, which is what you want it to be, which means the character has developed and changed, which was well done. You even see it in the costume design. He starts off the show in darker robes, darker grays and browns. And by the end of the show, he's back in light Jedi robes. His clothes represent his growth. So that was phenomenal. And then the final moment that truly solidifies that Obi-Wan has changed is when he sees Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon tells Obi-Wan that He's finally ready to see him. He's grown and matured enough that he's finally at the point where he's ready to learn how to become a force ghost. He's fully reconnected to the force at this point. Um, They didn't have to say it, 
but it was strongly implied that Qui-Gon is now going to teach Obi-Wan how to be a Force ghost as Obi-Wan then rides off into the sunset, the perfect ending. So that was a lot. This episode is jam-packed with character moments, but what I love about the show so much is how much of a character study it is. We just talked about a ton of stuff, but ultimately all this is to say that Obi-Wan's arc was just phenomenally executed and so well done, and I'm so happy with how it ended. They just completely nailed it in the finale and brought him successfully from the point at the end of Revenge of the Sith, the broken man, to the Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan in New Hope. I loved it. Moving on now from Obi-Wan to Vader, both Hayden Christensen and James Earl Jones were phenomenal. Hayden's acting and line delivery, especially during that conversation with Obi-Wan, was fantastic. Also, props to the makeup team for Anakin's face. It looked perfect. Let's talk about now uh, Vader's character moments. Um, I really love how Vader takes credit for killing Anakin. My interpretation is that Vader actually really wants to think that's true. Vader always, I think, is always in conflict with himself, in conflict with the light side of himself. He's always trying to convince himself that um, Anakin is gone, that he is just Vader, but that's not the case. He's always struggling against himself, and that finally comes to a head in Return of the Jedi when he finally allows himself to turn back to the light. Um, so I think all that inner conflict um, we can see in this scene, which is awesome. I love how Vader yells Obi-Wan's name after he leaves him. I think it's almost a yell of desperation. A part of Vader wanted Obi-Wan to kill him to end the perpetual conflict that rages on inside of him. And then also the physical pain and torment that Vader is always in because of the suit, because of the burns. So all of that was great. Also, I love just great directing by Deborah Chow. Um, the lighting during that scene, during that conversation, the way it switches, it's like it's we see Anakin's face and he's saying, uh, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. And the lighting on him is the glow of Obi-Wan's blue lightsaber. And his eye is kind of the normal eye color. And then we go back and he says, I did. And then it's the glow of his red lightsaber against his face. And that his eye is the yellow Sith eye, just absolutely chilling. And then that switch representing the switch in Vader's head in his inner conflict in the Anakin versus Vader, the way that they are the same person, but Vader wants to convince himself that he killed Anakin and he's just Vader now. All of that, the psychology of Vader, the way that's represented through the lights and the eyes, just phenomenal symbolism there. Awesome. Uh, I loved all that. I think some people also, moving on, were worried about another fight between Vader and Obi-Wan. Um, they were worried that it would break the canon of Vader's I was but a learner, now I am the master line in the original trilogy. I don't think it did. Vader calls Obi-Wan master during this fight, and Obi-Wan totally defeats him, so the line still makes sense. Uh, also, the next big Vader moment is his conversation with Palpatine. This was something I didn't know I needed, but it is awesome, and I'm so glad we got it. Um, this conversation is such a big moment for the character of Vader, and I think it's been kind of undervalued, I guess. I haven't seen many people talking about it, but this is a really significant moment because this is the moment where Vader kind of finally gets his closure in a way. This is where Vader finally lets go of his own personal vendetta for Obi-Wan. He finally embraces Palpatine as his only master, and he lets go of Obi-Wan as much as he can. This is the scene where by finally embracing Palpatine and letting go of his his vengeance, his need for revenge against Obi-Wan, 
um, Vader finally lets go of the final piece of his past, the final piece of Anakin Skywalker, and he comes out of this scene more Vader and less Anakin. And while that conflict is always inside of him, like we talked about, I do think he comes out of this show more Darth Vader than he was in the beginning of the show. Not in the way that, like, this is the first time we see Darth Vader, because that technically would be Revenge of the Sith. But I think that scene is the birth of the characterization of Vader that we get in the original trilogy, if that makes sense. So I just am so happy with how this show handled Vader. They gave him so much characterization, so much development, so much psychology. He gets a full arc in this show, which I wasn't expecting. This is by far my favorite iteration of the character of Vader we have ever seen in all of Star Wars. I also wanted to mention Ian McDiarmid and Liam Neeson again, seeing them back in their roles, looking fantastic as Qui-Gon, as Palpatine. Also props to the costume design, the makeup. All of that was awesome fan service. But what I love so much about it too is that it's not just fan service. There's a narrative purpose for both of their cameos. They both weren't just pointless cameos. They both serve as important points in the character arcs of Vader and Obi-Wan, especially Palpatine for Vader. Next up is Vivian Lyra Blair as Leia. Again, just a fantastic episode for her too. I like how she takes on more of a leadership role, helping the refugees on the ship. I loved her uh, giving Obi-Wan Lola for support. Super endearing, super cute. I especially loved when Obi-Wan gives her Tala's holster because throughout the show, she's wanted to get in on the fight. She's wanted to fight. She's wanted the blaster. Um, And now he kind of gives her a piece of that without actually giving the 10-year-old the blaster. I also love how she gets an arc in the show too. In her final scene, she tells Bail Organa, she tells her father that she wants to lead, but she wants to do it differently. That's Leia essentially accepting and embracing her role as a leader, which she resisted at first, but not wanting to be the typical hands-off kind of leader. This is Leia becoming what her version of a leader is, which she learned and was inspired by both Tala and Roken. Um, This is the beginning of Leia becoming the leader that she is in the original trilogy, And now we know who inspired her to be that leader. And then also the costume design. We're seeing the building of the Leia character to the point where we see how she gets from a little kid to the character we see in the original trilogy. And then we see how she starts the show in the first episode in her, I guess, ceremonial Alderaanian dress or whatever. And then in this episode, she's wearing that, but she has the belt. She has the holster. She has the combat boots. This is Leia embracing her warrior side. She wants to fight and also her leader side that she has to be. And this is the formation of the unconventional uh, leader Leia that we see in Star Wars Rebels in her episode and then also in the original trilogy. I also love Obi-Wan telling Leia about her parents which clearly touches her because it's something she's been wondering about throughout the entire series. And then she goes, she's like, thank you. And then she embraces her adopted parents because they're not any less her parents, even though they're not biologically related. Fantastic scene. Obi-Wan also tells Leia to keep everything that happened a secret and to not tell anyone. And uh, I really like that. It's a simple explanation, but it makes sense. And it helps me reconcile in my head any sort of canon issues with Leia knowing Obi-Wan before A New Hope and not referencing it in her message. So all of that was great. Last but not least is Moses Ingram as Reva. Last episode, I kind of did a complete 180 on her. While I didn't like her performance in the first couple episodes, I think she continually got better and better. She was actually very good this episode, bordering on great. I've seen some confusion on her motivation, People wondering why she's going after Luke. What does she want there? What is she trying to do? 
I wanted to give you my interpretation. In the beginning of the show, it's established that she hates Obi-Wan. Later, we learn that her hatred comes from the feeling of abandonment since he left her and all the other younglings to die. We learn that she also hates Vader too. I think that she wants revenge on Vader. She wants revenge on Obi-Wan, not just for herself, not just because she personally wants the revenge, but also because she wants to avenge her friends. To her, she's doing this for her friends who died as well as herself. So when she fails to kill Vader and fails to get her revenge, not only is she upset because she wanted the revenge, she also feels like she's failed her friends. She's so consumed by hate and anger that all she wants to do is lash out. She wants to hurt Obi-Wan. She wants to hurt Vader in any way she possibly can, no matter if she's grasping at straws or not. And the perfect opportunity just drops into her lap with Luke. I don't think she knows or even cares about what Luke's true importance is. She just knows that somehow he's connected to Obi-Wan and she wants to hurt Obi-Wan. And this is the only way she knows how to do it. I know there is a line in there where it kind of seems like maybe she knows that um, that Luke is adopted. He says like, oh, you love him like he's your own or something. Uh, I'm kind of just willfully choosing to ignore that line in my head. And it just makes more sense for me. Her motivation makes more sense. If it doesn't matter who Luke is, it doesn't matter what his importance is. All that she knows is that somehow he's connected to Obi-Wan. So she's grasping at straws to try to hurt Obi-Wan and try to avenge her friends. And then everything comes to a head when she tries to kill Luke. She feels like she has to kill Luke to avenge her friends, but she just can't do it. She sees herself in Luke. She realizes that she's no better than Vader if she kills him. She's becoming the very thing she hates. So she stops. She brings him back. That entire scene was phenomenal. I love the character work. I love how she physically saw herself laying there instead of Luke. And I thought Moses Ingram played that conflict perfectly. Um, I think her next moment when she collapses in front of Obi-Wan is also great. She's still conflicted because she feels like she failed. She doesn't want to be like Vader, but she also feels like she needs to avenge her friends. And by not following through, by not hurting Obi-Wan or hurting Vader, she failed her friends. And then Obi-Wan helps her find peace. He tells her that she honored her friends by choosing the light and not becoming like Vader. She chose the first step to redemption and she didn't die. Finally, a Star Wars character who doesn't die after uh, starting to redeem themselves. Reva is just such a fascinating and complex character and I want to see more of her. I want to see what a dark side user's path to redemption looks like in Star Wars. She made the first step, but it's really about where she goes from here. Uh, I desperately want to see more of her. I want to know where does she go because she's just a really interesting character and just what a complete switch. I went from really disliking the character and disliking the performance to loving it and wanting to see more. Um, I think that's great. Moses Ingram breaking down crying, the relief when she hands over her lightsaber. Obi-Wan tells her she's free. Phenomenal acting, her best moment in the show by far. Um, they really nailed her ending, and I hope we see more of her in the future. So all in all, this show really nailed character development, in my opinion, for multiple characters. They were all given arcs, and I couldn't be more satisfied with their endings. Quickly mentioning everybody I haven't yet, uh, Rupert Friend's performance as the Grand Inquisitor just grows on me so much. I kind of love him in that role now. He just absolutely chews on every single line, and I just find him so funny. Um, so I would actually love to see more of him as the Grand Inquisitor. Bonnie Piesi, I think, back as Aunt Beru was great. I like how they gave her a lot more agency. Um, she was uh, a fighter, which I wasn't expecting, but it was cool. Joel Edgerton as Uncle Owen, Jimmy Smith as Bail Organa, and Simone Kessel as uh, as Bria Organa continue to be amazing in their roles. 
Um, I hope to see the Organas in Andor, maybe. They would totally fit into that show. O'Shea Jackson Jr. as Roken is actually growing on me. I like his vow to Obi-Wan to continue leading, to be a leader of the Rebellion. He's another character I'd like to see in Andor. And then finally, uh, newcomer Grant Feely as young Luke was great. Uh, He just kind of radiated childlike innocence. I'm really glad that they made sure to show, to communicate that he was knocked out so he didn't see Ravel's lightsaber. Um, They didn't break canon, which I like. I also like that Owen told him that it was a Tuscan attack, so he didn't know what was really going on. I was worried, and then this show really skirts close to breaking canon, but they don't do it. They never step too far over that line, which I appreciate. Um, And that's all I have to say about the performances and the characters. Uh, now's when I would usually talk about the story and go in depth about everything that happened, but I think through the characters, I've kind of mentioned just about everything by now, but the one thing I will say, and the one thing I think they could have done to improve the story, um, would have been something different with Reva. I love Reva as a character. She's a fascinating, complex character, but I think something that could have made the show a little bit better was give us Reva's motivation up front instead of holding it out to be some big twist. Um, That way, I think we all would have been much more on board with the character and maybe the performance earlier. Um, Another thing, her surviving the lightsaber to the stomach, I'll forgive it for this show just because I love what they did with her after the fact. And I'll buy into the idea that she survived the same way Maul did. And I guess the Grand Inquisitor did by feeding into her hate and anger, just like the Grand Inquisitor says, revenge does wonders for the will to live. That's all fine and good. But I just don't want characters surviving mortal wounds like this to become common uh, or regular. This show gets a pass from me for these characters, but no more after this. If they keep doing this, then it removes any sort of stakes or tension, um, and I don't want that. Another detail somebody noticed on social media in this episode that I love and I just wanted to mention is that Obi-Wan removes the right side of Vader's mask and Ahsoka removes the left side of Star Wars Rebels but neither of them can do it. But Luke is the one who can finally remove the entire mask in Return of the Jedi. Um, Star Wars is extremely self-referential, extremely poetic. It deliberately parallels itself a lot, but this has to be my favorite Star Wars parallel ever. It's such a great detail and I love that analysis of it. And it's it's just an awesome, awesome idea there. So those are pretty much all my thoughts on this episode. It couldn't have been a more perfect finale for me. I'm very impressed with this show's handling of characters, character development. I was hoping this show would be a character study, and to me it was. That said, it's not a perfect show, and I've mentioned plenty of my criticisms in my weekly reviews. As I transition now from my episode review to my retroactive look on the whole show, I wanted to go over what I think are kind of the main biggest failures of the show as a whole. First of all, as much as I like this show, I think it further proves that even at its best, the six-episode format just doesn't work. This show felt like a really, really great movie stretched out into a series. There was a ton of fat that could have been cut out to make this a much more streamlined and effective story, and that's been my problem with a lot of these six-episode Marvel and Star Wars shows. I understand why they're so short from a budgetary reason, but I just also think it's not good for storytelling. The pattern we're seeing is that these shows have either felt like a movie stretched out to fit six episodes or a much longer show crammed into six episodes and neither one fully works. This six episode thing really feels to me like some sort of mandate from Disney. I really wish they would relax that rule 
and let the creators decide what episode count works best for the story they're trying to tell instead of forcing them to try to fit their story into the allotted six episodes. Secondly, I think this show was kind of riddled with a lot of logic issues and plot holes, some originating from the script and some from the execution, the direction of certain scenes on screen. To be clear, none of these have to do with canon breaking or anything like that. These are just holes in the story of the show that didn't fully work for me. I'm not going to list them all out now, but you can hear me talk about them specifically in my past Obi-Wan reviews. Certain aspects were just a little bit contrived to me. Um, Next, I think the performances of the show were very inconsistent. That's partly the fault of the performers and partly the fault of the direction. I also go into detail on this in my other reviews, but the range of performances we've seen in this show went from what I thought was honestly pretty terrible um, to phenomenal. And then you've got people like Moses Ingram, too, who just went from one end of the spectrum to the other over the course of the show, which is weird. Next up, I think the show also had some storytelling issues, minor things. I talked about how I think Reva could have been handled better by revealing her motivation earlier. Also, the Inquisitors as a whole, the series completely fell flat, didn't work for me. Um, The Grand Inquisitor got better, but just their whole, I guess, corner of the show just didn't work for me, especially in the earlier episodes. And I'm glad they got kind of sidelined in the later ones. Um, Next up, we also talked about the inconsistency in the visuals and the CGI. Sometimes the show looked great, sometimes it didn't. Um, And those are my failures. Oh, there's one more thing that I forgot to mention. Just general inconsistency in the episodes, I guess. I guess that is a pretty major one. Episodes two and four just aren't on the same level as one, three, five, and six. So I guess that's another big problem. But those are my major issues with the show. Those are the biggest flaws, I think, overall with the show. However, compared to the strengths of the show, these pale in comparison. I think looking back on the show as a whole, I absolutely loved it. This is one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars media ever. I think there are five main accomplishments of this show. Um, First of all, this serves as the perfect bridge between trilogies. Looking at the themes of this show, this is a show ultimately about the effects of the prequel trilogy, the aftermath of those events and how it affected these characters. And it's a bridge that takes us from the prequel trilogy to the original trilogy in multiple ways. And just on that level, being a bridge, this show is extremely effective and is now, in my opinion, essential Star Wars viewing. Secondly, this show fills in a vital gap in Obi-Wan's development. Obi-Wan thought he killed his best friend in episode three. He literally left his brother to burn, and then in episode one, he's a cheery old man. By episodes, I mean the uh, the movies, not the episodes of the series. So that doesn't make sense. How did he go from leaving his brother Anakin to burn to the cheery, old, happy, hopeful, uh, peppy man in A New Hope. It doesn't make sense. There's obviously a large missing piece there. And this show fills that gap perfectly. It takes him on a satisfying arc that perfectly fills that in and just makes a ton of sense. The third success of this show is how it enriches canon and retroactively explains things that don't make sense in other movies. This show explains so many lines and plot holes in the original trilogy that didn't make sense before. Obi-Wan knowing Vader is alive, calling him more machine than man, calling him Darth, Leia naming her son Ben, perking up when she hears she's being rescued by Ben Kenobi, Luke knowing Obi-Wan already, and much more. This show really did enrich canon to me. Um, the I think we're on the fourth success of this show. It gave us an early taste of early Rebels. 
we get an early taste kind of of what Andor will be tackling, especially with Roken, with Tala, with Ned B, with the path. We get to see the beginnings of resistance in the galaxy to the Empire, which I thought was awesome. And then the fifth and final success of this show, I think, is just Vader, the psychology of Vader. This show explores the character of Vader on a level no other Star Wars project on screen has, and it provides us with his best characterization yet, and I thought they just nailed that. So in my opinion, if I were to recommend, if I were to give somebody a list of what works about this show, those five things are the biggest successes of the show, why it ultimately really works, and why um, it's essential viewing if you're a Star Wars fan. So overall, you've heard me rave about it for way too long now. I love this show. I'm so happy with it. I'm way back into Star Wars now. I'm ready for Bad Batch Season 2. I'm ready for Tales of the Jedi and or um, I'm ready for it all. Um, what did you think of this show? Did you like it as much as me? Um, let me know in the email, the voicemail, the form, or the comments. And uh, thank you so much for listening and have a good day.